We are now known by the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. Eagerly maintaining the unity of the Spirit and united as the Church, the body of Christ. Made new in the fullness of his love, because in Christ all things are made new. Hey everybody, uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. Really, really uh, glad you're here. Welcome all uh, campuses and venues. If you're worshiping at the Aurora campus or at Highland Square, at Restoration, at East Hall, or here in the sanctuary at the Hudson campus, uh, welcome. Uh, we've been going through the book of Ephesians, uh, and I have been uh, loving Ephesians together. Uh, going through it every day, going through the same passage, underlining and circling and answering a few questions, somehow has helped me stay immersed in a way that doesn't happen for me. And it's been really, really good. I hope it has been good for you. I, I told you last weekend that we're far enough along in the series where the structure of this letter is emerging. Uh, Paul starts out talking about the beauty of grace, for by grace you are saved. Then he moves to the mystery of community, how somehow this barrier between Jews and Gentiles that has always been there has been broken down and one new community has been formed. And then he will move to the power of transformation, how this life is supposed to be lived out within us. And those three things, the beauty of grace, the mystery of community, and the power of, trans of transformation happen in that order. Paul has them in that order for a reason. It has to always start with grace. And for by grace, you're saved. The reason is this. Uh, grace not only takes care of the guilt and the shame that you feel because of things that you have done that are wrong, but grace takes care of the pride that swells up in our souls for what we do right. And that's really, really important because what Scripture says is that no matter how good a life that you feel like you have lived, you need the same amount of grace as someone who feels like they have not lived a good life at all. Right? At the risk of beating a dead horse, which is a great saying for this, what I'm going to tell you. I mean, why don't you beat a dead horse? Because that horse isn't going to respond because it's dead, right? Now, that's what Scripture says about you and me, that we are dead spiritually. You are the same amount of dead as anybody has ever been and the people sitting around you. And that's why grace is so important, because grace not only takes care of the guilt and the shame that you feel because of things that you have done wrong, it can also take care of the pride that swells up in our souls for what we have done right because grace, because of that, grace creates, grace demands a humility that becomes the foundation of this new community. And that's what breaks down the hostility, the barrier. Paul is writing to Jews and Gentiles. For centuries, Jews felt like they had more right than Gentiles, than non-Jews. They felt like they lived better lives than Gentiles. They, fought, they really felt like they were better people than the Gentiles. And in, in turn, the Gentiles felt like they were better people than the Jews. And that created this hostility, this hatred, which we should really understand right now in our culture. 
right? Because politically, we have Republicans who feel like they have more right than Democrats, and Democrats who feel like they have more right than Republicans. And if the truth be told, Republicans feel like they're better people than Democrats, and Democrats feel like they're better people than Republicans. And so then there's this hostility that is palpable in our country. And what could possibly have the power to break down that hostility and make those two one? And the answer is grace. It was the same in the first century as it is in the 21st century. So Paul starts with this beauty of grace, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And then he moves to the mystery of community, that there is one new community where there is this unity that happens and no longer hostility because of the grace that has happened. And then this power of transformation. Uh, how do you really change? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does a Christian really look like, act like, live like, love like? That's what we're going to be getting into in the next few weeks. The passage for today is found in Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to read the first 16 verses. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 4, or it's going to come up on the screen. This is what it says. <clears throat> Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is God's word, and it's true. All right, so... Paul begins to describe what it means to be a part of this unique thing called the church. And I'm calling this message a new community because that's what we are. And Paul does three things in these 16 verses. He tells us how we are the same. He tells us how we are different. And then he tells us why it matters. How we are the same, how we are different, and then why it matters. First, how are we the same? 
He starts out in the first three verses. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul has given us a peek into what he is going to talk to us about in the coming chapters, which is that power of transformation. How do we live a life worthy of this calling? That's what we're going to talk about in the next three weeks. But then he's about to go into how we are all unique, how we are all different, how you are different. But before he goes into our differences, he reminds us of how we are the same. And this is what he says, beginning of verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. <laughs> he uses the word one seven times in three verses. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. You know what that means? Are you a Christian? Okay, if you're a Christian, so am I. You know what that means? That means you and I have at least seven things in common. And there's seven big things. The things that we have in common, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. That is such a huge thing to have in common. These are the, these folders are the, the most recent folders from our latest uh, membership class. Each folder contains one or two faith stories, and I get to read all the faith stories of people who become members here at Christ Community Chapel, and each story uh, is unique. And I love each story, but each story also ends, uh, has something absolutely the same in it, because every story somehow brings in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which is this. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not as a result of work so that no one may boast. What every story says is this. It's a miracle. If you are a Christian, it's a miracle that you're a Christian, that you're a follower of Jesus. No matter what your story is, it is absolutely a miracle. And this is what I mean. I grew up in the home of a pastor. I had a great home life. Uh, we went to church three times a week, every week. I learned all the Bible stories before I started my first day of school. Uh, I memorized a ton of Scripture because in, in the church I grew up in, they made Scripture memory a competition. And I was like super competitive. So I memorized all this scripture. I finally gave my life fully to Jesus, driving a 1968 Volkswagen on Interstate 4 from Tampa to Orlando, Florida. I have a friend named Jeremy Moore. Jeremy Moore told me his story over a burrito in a Mexican restaurant. And his story, at least part of it, Includes him having a successful company, making a lot of money, 
having a, having a wife, and then he slowly lost all those things. He lost his company, he lost his money, he lost his wife. He ended up uh, becoming addicted to methamphetamine, and he was not only an addict, he became a dealer. It was like breaking bad. And Jeremy Moore came uh, into this church for the first time uh, one Sunday when we were having a special speaker that we had one time in the history of our church, and we will never have him again. His name is Nabil Qureshi, and Nabil has gone to be with the Lord. But Jeremy came the week that Nabil was preaching, and Jeremy gave his life fully to Jesus that day. Here's a question. Which is the greater miracle? Is it the, the story of the, the son of a pastor who grew up listening to Bible stories and gave his life to Christ in a 1968 Volkswagen? Or is it the story of a meth dealer who walked into church one time and heard the gospel and gave his life to Jesus? It's a trick question. <laughs> They're both miracles. Let me explain it a different way. You're probably familiar with the story of Lazarus, right? Lazarus in John chapter 11. Lazarus gets sick. He ends up dying. Jesus tarries a little bit where he is. He ends up coming down to Bethany, which is where Lazarus' home had been. And by the time he gets to Bethany, Lazarus has been dead for four days. And Jesus goes to the tomb, and he says, roll away the stone. And Martha, his sister, and I know this because I memorized it when I was a little kid, and I memorized it in the King James Version because she says this, No, Lord, for this time, for by this time he stinketh. You know, I always remember that when I was a kid. It just cracked me up. Because what she was thinking is that Jesus was going to pay his last respects. And she was saying, Jesus, by this time, in Middle Eastern heat, without embalming, he's already starting to decompose. It's a very somber thing she says. And Jesus says, roll away the stone. So they roll away the stone, and Jesus looks into that tomb, and then he shouts, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus walks out of the grave. Lazarus is called out of death to life. And everybody said, it's a miracle. Mark chapter 5, Jesus is walking with his disciples and a whole crowd of people, and he's teaching them as he's walking. And a, a synagogue leader named Jairus comes running up to him and to the crowd, and he says, Jesus, my daughter, my 12-year-old daughter is really sick. I think she's dying. Will you come? And Jesus says, I'll come. And they start their way, and I would suppose they started their way in a hurry to get to where Jairus lived. But a woman touched Jesus' robe, and she'd been sick for 12 years, and Jesus takes the time to minister to her, to heal her. And by the time he turns again, there are some servants who come from Jairus' house, and they tell Jairus, listen, don't bother Jesus anymore. It's too late. Your daughter's dead. And Jesus says, I'm still coming. And he gets to Jairus' house, and he sits on the edge of her bed, and he takes the little girl's hand in his hand, and he says two words in Aramaic, Talitha kum, which translated into English means this, honey, wake up. 
Honey, wake up. And her eyes flutter open, and he sits her up, and he has called her from death to life, and everybody says, it's a miracle. Which is the greater miracle? Is it harder to... Is it harder to raise somebody from the dead who's been dead for four days or four hours? It's a miracle. Let me ask you this, too. If Lazarus and Jairus' daughter ever met, what do you think they would talk about? What do you think they'd have in common? I mean, you got Lazarus, who's a grown man. You got Jairus' daughter, who's a, a 12-year-old girl. Lazarus is a Browns fan, and Jairus' daughter is a Steelers fan. Lazarus, a lifelong Republican. Jairus' daughter comes from a long line of Democrats. You think they'll talk about that? You, you think? Or would they look at each other and say, wait, wait, you're Jairus' daughter. You heard him call your name. You know what it is to be called out of death to life. And she says, you're Lazarus. You heard him call your name. You know what it is to be called from death to life. Don't you think they would talk about that? So if you are a Christian, you are a miracle. You heard him call your name. He called you out of death to life. And every other person who's a Christian, you have more in common with them than anything. Any other differences are minor differences. It doesn't matter what they are. Doesn't matter if there are differences in ethnicity, if you're black or white, educated, uneducated, rich or poor, conservative or liberal. What does that matter when you've been called out of death to life? Because you are one body, one hope, one spirit, one Lord, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Paul starts by saying, so if you want to understand this new community, you want to understand what it means to be a church, you want to understand kind of the, the magic of a church, you need to start with how we are the same. And that's the way you're the same. And then he moves to how we're different. Beginning of verse 5, or let's see, verse 7. He says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. All right. It's, uh, it's really important. And Paul starts out with talking about what it means to be a part of this by reminding us of how we are the same, but then he moves right into how we are different. And he does that for a reason. And he's talking about unity. He's not talking about uniformity. And there's a big difference because people mix those up. Uniformity is a sameness, right? Kleenex have great uniformity. Every Kleenex looks like every other Kleenex. You know, and some people think this is what it means to be a Christian. 
And so oh, if I become a Christian, it means I've got to be like everybody else. And if you're new to our church, you, you begin to look around and you think, oh, I've got to become like these people. <laughs> Maybe they're excited. All right. Probably not. All right. Anyway, that's uniformity. That's not unity. Paul talks about unity. And he says, unity is more like a jigsaw puzzle. It's a jigsaw puzzle with all these pieces because each piece is absolutely unique, but all the pieces fit together in order to form a picture. And it's that unity that forms the picture. And every single piece, you miss just a couple of pieces, you don't have the fullness of the picture. That's what Paul talks about. So he says, this is what, you know, don't think that when you come become a Christian, you lose your individuality. When you become a Christian, you become a part of a new community. What's happening is that you are finally finding out who you really are. Why you are wired the way you're wired. Here's a question. Why are you here? Why, are you, why did God bring you here at this particular time, in this particular environment, in this particular location, at this particular moment in history, sitting around the people that you are sitting around? You know why? Because you're part of the puzzle. You're peace. And that, let me show you that this is, there's a weird part. You probably, I've read it twice so far, and so I don't want you to get too bunged up about it, so let me explain it. Uh, you know, he says, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. He gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended to the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. All right. Um, Paul is, is using an image that the people would be very familiar with. Whenever a king went and conquered uh, someone, an enemy, he would come back, and when he would come back, he'd have wagon loads of swag that, from conquering the foe. And a good king wouldn't keep all, that, all those riches for himself. He would give away the riches. He would give the gifts. And what Paul is saying is that Jesus, when he has conquered the forces that had you enslaved, and now he comes to give gifts. And he says a few things. He says everybody gets a gift. If you are a Christian, you have a gift given to you by Jesus. It's not for you to take and use for yourself or put in a safety deposit box. He gives you the gift and he tells us because, so that you will use it for the people who are around you. So you will use it to serve, to encourage, to strengthen, to build up the rest of the people that are around you. And there are a few things I want you to know about the gift. First, he, he lists out uh, some of the gifts here. He says uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. He lists out more in uh, Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, he says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us Use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Right? There's also a list in 1 Corinthians 12 and another list in 1 Peter 4. 
And what that means is you've been given a gift by Jesus. You don't get to choose your own gift, by the way. Um, spiritual gifts aren't like the Christmas game, you know, where you get a gift and if you don't like it, you can steal somebody else's, make them pick another one. That's a terrible game, by the way. I hate that game. All right. But you get a gift because Jesus has given you a particular gift for you. And that means that you ought to try to stay away from gift envy, where you end up thinking, ah, oh, you know, I, I know I'm kind of wired to do this, but boy, I would love to be the one that stands up and teaches or whatever. Oh, and I should tell you, I need to tell you this. There are some things that every Christian is supposed to do. I mean, every Christian is supposed to serve. Every Christian is supposed to give. Like, if you're a Christian, the plate passes you by. You don't go, mm, leave that to people who have the gift of giving and to the wealthier people. Let them carry this ship. I'm just going to... That's not... Every Christian is supposed to give. Every Christian. But some people have like an extra dose of serving. So they delight in serving. They're great at serving. There, there are other people who have a gift of giving where they, they just get a charge out of just being amazingly generous. But just because you don't have the gift doesn't mean that you don't participate. Like, like I, I have the gift of teaching. Right? So, but it doesn't mean that if I'm walking from my car uh, to church and somebody trips in front of me and they fall down, that I go <laughs> step over them and say, I'll go find somebody with the gift of helps to help you up. <laughs> Got to go teach, right? We're supposed to do those things. But you get the gift, you, you have the gift for a reason, and your gift is to serve the people around you. And we'll get to how, why it matters in a minute. But let me, tell you, uh, let me tell you how to find your gift just quickly. If you're going to find your gift, you need to, uh, you need to do some stuff. You, you can't just be a spectator. You, you can't just watch online. You can't just come and leave. You have to try to get involved. And the more stuff you try, the more likely you are to find where you fit and what God has given you to do. So you, you need to, I'll, I'll tell you three things to do. Uh, you need to kind of listen to your heart. Then you need to look for opportunities. Then you need to watch for impact. When I say listen to your heart, you need to try to figure out kind of what makes you come alive. If you're interested in justice and mercy, if you like making people feel at home, if you like maybe working with people who are, who are new in the faith so that you can help them grow, if, it, if you like working with people who are, are not yet believers, whatever it is, if you like working behind the scenes, kind of listen to the way your heart beats. That's the first thing. Second thing is find opportunities. Right? That means try a lot of things. Uh, CCC 101 is a class that we offer now just to let you know all the opportunities that we have inside of these walls and a lot of the opportunities we have outside these walls. Take that class. Start trying things. It makes sense. If, if Jesus gave you a gift, it makes sense that he would give you opportunities for you to use that gift. And then look for impact. And what I mean by that is if you are using your gift, if you're right where you are to be, you are wired to be, you'll not only feel like a round peg in a round hole, but you also help people. You will actually have an impact on the lives of people around you. 
which is what Paul says will happen. Right? So Paul says, this is how we're the same. And then he says, this is how we're different. You, are, you have been given a gift. Don't not use the gift that Jesus has given you. And finally, Paul goes into why it matters. And this is why it matters. And I'm only going to read the first few words of verse 14. He says this, so that we may no longer be children. <laughs> That's it. So that we may no longer be children. In a word, he's saying, if you are ever going to mature as a follower of Jesus, you have got to become part of this new community. You've got to understand how you are the same with the people sitting around you. You need to have great, you need to realize what a miracle it is that you, you are a Christian. And then you need to take the gift that God has given you and begin to use it and begin to find your place in this puzzle that God has put right here, right now, in this particular time in history. That's why being a lone ranger Christian or being a spectator Christian is so dangerous. It means you'll never grow up. What's fascinating to me is that Paul uses himself in this. He doesn't say, so that you will mature or that you will grow up. He says, so that we will. Paul the apostle sees himself as somebody who, can, who needs to continue to grow, and he does it in using his gift in the midst of the community. That's crazy. If Paul the apostle is a toddler, what are you? What am I? Right? We need to be a part of this, and this is, this is how. This is how it works, I think. Um, it works in a couple of different ways. One is uh, there are some similarities between uh, a physical baby and a spiritual baby. And we're all born babies, by the way. Physically, you're born a baby. Nobody's born a teenager. Right? You might be, <laughs> your mom might have been a couple weeks late, but she wasn't like 13 years late in delivering you. So you're born a baby, you're born again a baby. And there are some similarities. I'll tell you one similarity, two. First similarity is this. Babies lack discernment. You put a carrot and a crayon in front of a baby, the baby will try to eat both, right? Because a baby lacks discernment, the baby doesn't know. That's why you have to always be looking at a baby, what they're putting in their mouth, because they'll put anything in their mouth. Paul says, you need to grow up. You need to be a part of a community. You need to have people who are teaching you, who have the gift of teaching, who will help you grow so that you will grow in your discernment so you won't be tossed to and fro, so you won't look at the Internet, read a story, and go, oh, my gosh, I wonder if that's true. Or you'll read a book and go, oh, I don't know if, if I believe in God anymore. Or whatever happens that throws you all off, if you want to grow in discernment, if you're going to grow out of immaturity into maturity, you have to be a part of a community. The other thing that happens, is this is a little bit more important, is that a baby is very, very self-centered. A baby doesn't care about anybody else. A baby only cares about themselves. And a baby who doesn't get their way, who doesn't get what they want when they want it, will cry. The adult version of that is, <laughs> is to complain. How do you grow to become less self-centered? What Paul says, you become a part of a community where you begin to use your gifts with other people. And what happens is with these pieces, 
that you get around other people, they will begin to kind of rub on you, kind of like sandpaper, and they'll rub edges off you. The pastors have a saying that uh, ministry would be great if it wasn't for people. But it's, it's a pastor's joke. Like if you were a bunch of pastors, you'd be, ha, right? That'd be really funny. <laughs> but uh, the reason is because people are hard. Right? That's, why he, that's why he says in verse 2, right, of, he says, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. Because when you get involved, when you connect with other people, when you begin to work with other people to accomplish something, to form this picture of the fullness of Christ, it's going to rub on you. It's going to make it harder. You're going to need patience. You're going to need humility. You're going to need gentleness. You're going to need to love people. But the other thing is, what Paul says is, I will never grow into all that God wants me to be without you. If you're not using your gifts, you're not just robbing you yourself, you're robbing me. You will never grow into the fullness of what God has for you without the people around you using their gift. That's something of the, of the wonder of it all. So Paul says, he's transitioning into this, the power of transformation, and what it's going to look like to be a real Christian, how a Christian uh, looks, loves, lives. He says, in this new community, remember how you're the same. You're sitting around people, you're sitting around people who are Lazaruses. You're sitting around people who are daughters of Jairus. You are around people who have heard him call their name. You are a Christian because you heard him call your name. You have much more in common than you have anything, uh, any differences. But the differences are important because you're like a puzzle piece. You've been given a gift not to use for yourself, but to use for the people around you. And if you will use that gift in the people around you, if you get involved, then together we become a picture of the fullness, of the full stature of Christ himself. To his glory. Ephesians together, transformed. 2018, new community. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thanks for your grace to us. Thanks for calling us by name and that each one of us is a miracle because you called us out of death to life. But I also thank you for the gifts that you've given. I pray for the people who have yet to open their gift and to really find their place. I pray that they will find their place, uh, not just for themselves, but because we need them. I need them. And I pray that together we will reflect to you the fullness of what a body of Christ is supposed to look like as it grows into what you want us to be. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.